Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. One of the uh, things I want to do uh, this year in 2018 uh, is to introduce uh, you to um, new people that you might not have uh, heard or met or know of. And uh, I'm beginning uh, the Think Humanities podcast this year with two of our Kentucky Humanities board members. Uh, We're going to uh, talk with Tom Appleton today and then following uh, Tom uh, uh, will be our new board chair of Kentucky Humanities for 2018, Elaine Wilson from Somerset Community and Technical College. Uh, Tom or Thomas Appleton, we, we will be formal, won't we, Tom? <laughs> yes. Um, is um, uh, still at Eastern Kentucky University in the history department for a few more months, but he's uh, officially retired as of uh, December 2017. And uh, we want to congratulate him on that. He's a fairly new member uh, to uh, the uh, board at Kentucky Humanities. So we're very glad to have him uh, on board, on the board. So, Tom, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate this opportunity. And I want to congratulate you on a very successful first year as our executive director. Well, you've been right there with me. And it's been uh, fun. It's been a great opportunity uh, I'm not uh, going to tell you that it wasn't challenging at times, but uh, I just feel like we've we've accomplished a lot in one year, and we're uh, gives us a lot of momentum for 2018. Well, everyone who talks to me about you always comments on your enthusiasm, your uh, boundless energy, and your creativity. So it's a real pleasure to have you here. Well, that's very nice of you to say that, and thanks a lot. So let's just. Uh, Give everybody an idea of, of who Tom Appleton is, uh, y- your background uh, before you got to Eastern. We'll talk about what you've uh, done uh, in the last uh, 20 or so years at, at Eastern. But uh, are you a native Kentuckian? No. I was born in Memphis and uh, attended public school there, went to the, what is now the University of Memphis, and decided to go to graduate school, looked around, and picked the University of Kentucky because it had some of the most outstanding historians of the South, and I had the honor to work with Charles Rowland and the late Holman Hamilton and others, Dr. Thomas Clark. It was the best thing I ever did was to decide to come to UK. I frankly did not plan to become a Kentuckian, but after a few months here, I realized that I had fallen in love with the state and I decided to get my PhD with a specialty in Kentucky history. And I had hoped never to leave the state for employment, and I've been very fortunate that here, some 30-plus years later, I'm, I'm right here in, in Kentucky. You did some teaching at the University of Kentucky, and I believe you had begun work on your PhD while you were uh, teaching. Excuse me. Actually, I was a a doctoral student at UK, and the job market was so bleak. I was talking to my friend Jim Clotter, and he was a fairly new staff member at the Kentucky Historical Society in Frankfurt. 
and I was bemoaning the fact that there weren't many job opportunities. And a couple of days later, he called me and said, I've talked to my bosses in Frankfurt. We would like to offer you a job. So I went over as an assistant editor of publications. And frankly, I planned to be there three or four years and then look for a teaching job. And I ended up staying 21 years. And what was your main uh, job there uh, as editor? What, what did that entail? That entailed um, publishing a quarterly scholarly journal called The Register. It is the official state history journal. It's been published since 1903. And I would edit articles for that magazine. But at that time, it was fun because as editor, I was able to work on historical highway markers, these green and gold markers you see all over the state. I was able to uh, propose topics that had been neglected, perhaps, and uh, I thought were worthy of a marker. I worked on with the museum staff in writing labels, so every day was different. Um, we would answer correspondence on occasion for the governor. Um, I found out early on that students had discovered that they could write the governor and say, I'm working on a term paper on the Civil War, can you help me? And the governor would send the letter over to us and we would do the research and then send it back. So Does that still happen today? I don't know. <laughs> I've been away since the year 2000, but I suspect there are savvy students who would do that. Were you a one-person office at the uh, Historical Society? No, we had six people. Oh. Six people. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a very good staff, and um, it was a pleasure working there. Highway markers, did you, was it a complete volume or book that you wrote on, on highway markers, or was that... Uh, was that something that, that other people wrote and you edited? We would receive requests all the time. They would say, I sped by a highway marker. I couldn't stop to read it. You know, can you send me the text of it? And so we had the idea of bringing all those markers together into a book. And so Diane Wells, Melba Porter Hay, and I put together a compilation of the highway markers and... Um, and it's been a good seller. Hey, uh, uh, tell me about the book. Where they uh, you, you do descriptions of the highway markers? Are there pictures of, of each? Or actually, there are pictures, uh, not of each, because there are about fifteen hundred. The last I uh, counted, <laughs> but the text of every marker is there. And um, as I said, I enjoyed finding topics that had not been been. Uh, memorialized with a marker. For example, I found that there was no marker at Churchill Downs. I thought that was absolutely inexplicable. And I also, I wanted it to be a two-sided marker, and I wanted on the, on the reverse for there to be um, text about African-Americans, um, African-American jockeys. And uh, so that was put up. Uh, I found that there was no marker at Memorial Coliseum for Adolph Rupp. So mm -hmm. I took a great deal of pleasure in, in writing that marker. If uh, a county or a historian or a family uh, sees the need for a marker today, is that a difficult process to go through? Back in the day when the state had more money than 
it does today, um, the state would pay for a marker. Now, in leaner times, markers have to be sponsored by someone, either a family, uh, an institution like a bank, uh, fiscal court, or something, and you would propose a topic, and then you would have to indicate that you had the means to pay for it. But it's a, a rigorous process. Um, every word is carefully debated, because um, you have to tell a story in 33 characters per line. I mean, that's pretty, pretty restrictive. The year 2000, you, um, I guess you were asked, uh, you applied, uh, you went to Eastern Kentucky University to the history department. That's right. At that time, uh, Bill Ellis was retiring as their Kentucky history specialist, and there was an opening, and they approached me. I was very receptive to that, and um, I joined the faculty in August of 2000. And as you mentioned, I will be retiring this month, 17 years later. It's been great experience, and I have thoroughly enjoyed working with the students at Eastern. What sort of transition was it for you from uh, the Historical Society to uh, being in the classroom? There really was no transition because all the years I worked in Frankfurt, I was an adjunct professor both at UK and at Eastern. So I'd always had my foot in the teaching door and I decided I wanted to do that full time. What did you, in your, uh, in your almost 20 year, um, 17, 18 year teaching career, what did you try to teach uh, the students? I always asked, I always ask on the first day, how many of you, and I don't mean any offense here, but I always say, how many of you had a coach as your social studies teacher? And very often the hands would go up. And I would say, well, I'm here to fill in the blanks. Because so often in high school, students are asked to memorize dates, treaties, names of people, um, but they're not put in context. So I tell them that my job is to help them fill out the, fill out the story and um, to see the bigger picture, to see the, the connectivity of all of these events to their daily life. What concerns do you have about the uh, teaching of history in Kentucky education, in Kentucky high schools, as well as uh, higher education? A lot of my former students were history teaching majors, and they're now teaching in the public schools, and I know they're doing a great job. But frankly, Kentucky history in particular, I have seen over the years be de-emphasized. It used to be taught in high school, then it became junior high, and now I believe it's in the fourth grade. If you introduce a student in the fourth grade to Kentucky history, all you can really do is talk about, talk about some of the leading figures, Daniel Boone, perhaps Mary Todd Lincoln and others. Maybe you can talk about what a hero is or a heroine, um, bravery, but you can't really talk about very deep concepts. 
I wish that Kentucky history could be taught in high school where you could delve more deeply into some really meaningful topics. Now, a lot of my colleagues who teach world history or European history think incorrectly that students know American history perhaps just because they live here, but they don't. Um, I, early in the semester, I always would give my students a test just for fun, and the questions would come from the sample exams given to those who are trying to become a citizen. And it would have questions like, how many branches of government are there? Give the dates of the Great Depression, that sort of thing. And it would constantly amaze me. Um, for example, one of the questions is, what is another name for the Bill of Rights? And sometimes people put down the Ten Commandments. Or I'll say, um, who delivered the Gettysburg Address? And sometimes they'll have no idea. And one student put down for who delivered the Gettysburg Address, he put down FedEx. You know, uh, they just do <laughs> not know. They do not know history. There was another question. If, when, if a president dies in office, who succeeds him? And very often the, the response will come back, the president's wife. I don't know where they get these, these notions, um, but there's so much work for any educator to do. I think uh, there's a lot of job security in mm. being an educator because you will always be needed. But it seems like to me, with the challenges that face uh, the state of Kentucky, uh, the educational system, I've heard uh, you and another board member, Dr. Dwayne Bolin at uh, Murray, uh, discuss uh, the teaching of history uh, in uh, high schools, uh, grade schools, um, and, and in college. In fact, I think Dr. Bolin was, um, I remember, uh, in our office uh, in Lexington on Maxwell Street in the lobby there that both of you expressed some uh, great concern that, uh, for example, and this may have changed, but your position at uh, Eastern uh, is going to remain vacant or not filled. Is that correct? Well, actually... I'm retiring, and the chair of our department is retiring, and another colleague is going part-time. So that's a loss of two and a half teachers, and we are being allowed to hire one person. Mm -hmm. And that person may or may not have a specialty in Kentucky history. Um, that was not a requirement for the position. They are interviewing now for that person. So, uh, frankly, I think it probably will be someone who does not have a specialty in Kentucky history. And I think that's, that's a shame. And I think at the University of Kentucky, for example, they do not do enough to promote Kentucky history. I mean, well, that's the flagship. Why is that? And, and, and who makes those decisions? It's made in the department. Um, and I don't really know why they make that decision, but obviously it has been done. Well, we know, uh, at least uh, some of us, and we believe that um, history is such a key uh, component and a part of, uh, of making one whole. 
of knowing uh, what went on before uh, and applying that to uh, what occurs today and, and what might happen in the future. So I've never really understood uh, the reasoning behind uh, even teaching Kentucky history. Now, we all know the value, too, of European history and American history and, and, and what it has to do to, to make a, a well-rounded, a thoughtful person uh, just a citizen. Um, foreign service, uh, the diplomatic corps, uh, being uh, prepared to serve uh, the public uh, in, in Washington. Um, but just Kentucky history. We run in, I know you, you, have, you just gave us examples of Kentucky history, uh, the, the core principles not being taught. And I just have not understood that. Is that because uh, of this uh, debate between STEM and, and, and the humanities uh, that, that have s- sort of left the, the humanities curriculum pushed aside? I think it really predates that. Um, this has been going on for some decades. Um, I think you see with the uh, moving Kentucky history down from high school to elementary school, that predated the discussion about STEM. Um, but I'll tell you this, I do teach, I have taught classes on Kentucky history, and I'll tell you they're popular. They're very popular, and people will say, I never knew that about my state. You know, I didn't know, uh, uh, for example, why Kentucky uh, remained in the Union during the Civil War. I mean, if you were to judge by the pickup trucks you see with Confederate flags on the back, you, you could be excused for thinking that Kentucky was a Confederate state, but it really wasn't. Um, Kentucky men volunteered uh, for the Union three times in the three times the number uh, who went to the Confederacy. So um, there's a lot of education still to be done. Tell me um, about your work um, on in two areas. One, uh, the the volume that uh, you uh, worked on on Kentucky women that, that was so well received, and then your new work, um, which is is still um, in process uh, on uh, Governor uh, Happy Chandler. Bill, the University of Georgia Press has a series dedicated to Southern women, and each state has a volume. Melissa McEwen at Trancy was approached about doing the volume for Kentucky, and she was kind enough to ask me to join her in that endeavor. And we gathered 16 prominent scholars who, to write essays on women, some of whom were well-known, like Mary Todd Lincoln, Others were not well-known, a woman such as Lizzie Faust of Lexington, an African-American woman who led a successful petition drive that produced major changes in the year 1925 in how prisoners, local prisoners, were treated when they were incarcerated. Um, It was a great challenge to to try to cover all the women in Kentucky history in about 400 pages. Mm -hmm. Um, Ours is the first book 
uh, first book-length treatment of Kentucky women. And we have women in there from Jemima Boone all the way to Martha Lane Collins. Um, we tried to cover the entire uh, chronology of Kentucky history. And I'm pleased that the book has been very well received. It's used in college classrooms, and um, it's been the subject of book group discussions. And um, Kentucky was just accorded one volume. <laughs> Other states, such as South Carolina and Mississippi, were given more than one. And Melissa and I certainly think that Kentucky should have another volume because there were so many deserving women we could not treat, for example. Uh, if we were to do another volume, certainly Rosemary Clooney hmm. would be in there, uh, Loretta Lynn, and, and so many others. In your new work, or the work that you've been working on for some time, uh, not completed yet on Happy Chandler? My mentor at UK, Charles Rowland, began interviewing Governor Chandler and um, his friends and foes back in the 70s. And he ha has given me all of the interviews that he did. And he has really excited me about Happy Chandler. And Governor Chandler, back in the 70s, called the UK archives and said, come and get my materials. And they went over and picked up all kinds of uh, file cabinets and that sort of thing. And there are now hundreds of boxes of materials that need to be uh, examined. And it's gonna take a long time. Um, as I was teaching and working full time, I couldn't devote a lot of attention to it, but that's one of my goals in retirement to, to do that because Happy has an interesting story. I mean, he it is a true rags to riches story. Um, born in Henderson County uh, to a very poor family, and he ended up a success, governor twice, commissioner of baseball, U.S. senator, and uh, just an immensely interesting personality. Frankly, uh, part of Kentucky history, uh, and, and I think Kentuckians should all know his role in Jackie Robinson's uh, uh, playing in the major leagues and, and uh, what a tumultuous time that was. And, um, and Happy really put his, his name, his reputation on the line for, for uh, this first uh, African-American player. He did. In 1947, as commissioner, he was approached by Branch Rickey, who, the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, who wanted to sign Jackie Robinson, and Chandler approved it. He didn't have to. Um, he could have put, put it off a few years or whatever. But he supported Jackie Robinson. He told opposing players, you make trouble for him, I'm going to make trouble for you. Mm -hmm. And it really broke, it, it broke the color barrier mm -hmm. in Major League Sports. And um, just think how we have been enriched by African-American athletes in every sport since the 1940s. You have a uh, unique relationship with uh, Senator McConnell and maybe others, too, that I'm not aware of. Tell me how, uh, how that developed and, and, and how meaningful that has been to you. Well, Bill, you have told me about 
your meeting with uh, Senator Rand Paul, and you discovered he was a real history buff, especially of Abraham Lincoln. Our other senator, our senior senator, Mitch McConnell, is a, a real student of history, and he reads biographies, uh, autobiographies, whenever he can. He loves history, and he is currently putting the finishing touches on a volume of essays about prominent Kentuckians who have served in the U.S. Senate over the past 200 plus years. And I have worked with him on this project and uh, have immensely enjoyed that relationship. Um, he told me once that he had been at a New Year's Eve party with Chief Justice John Roberts, and they were discussing uh, the history of the Supreme Court. And the Chief Justice mentioned that he had not read a particular book on John Marshall. And the next day, Senator McConnell sent him a copy of it. I, as a historian, I love these backstories of how things get done and relationships that occur. And um, uh, I think we are very lucky to have two senators who support us at, at the Kentucky Humanities. They, they know our work and the value it, it brings. So you've uh, finished uh, just the latest chapter in your life. You're uh, still a young person uh, who has a lot of living to do, a lot of writing to do, a lot of research to do. What, what if, um, other than uh, some travel and some time off, um, what, what else do you want to accomplish in your life? Well, you mentioned travel. I, I love to travel, and um, I've already scheduled a trip in June. I'm going to Campobello Island off of Maine, and I'm gonna be there for five days attending a, a workshop on the Roosevelts. Oh. And this is gonna focus in particular on Eleanor Roosevelt. Hmm. And of course, I didn't know, um, this is where uh, FDR came down with polio in 1921. I think if I were FDR, I would never set foot in the place again, but the family continued to go there and they continue to vacation there. And now it is a uh, facility, an educational facility. So I'm gonna be staying on the Roosevelt property in a cottage, and it's a small group limited to 24 people, and I'm really looking forward to it. Tom Appleton, um, uh, professor extraordinaire, uh, former uh, Historical Society uh, editor uh, and uh, contributor there. Um, Professor, writer, historian, and a member, uh, and I, I must say proudly so, of our Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. Uh, thanks and good luck, and we will have other conversations about other things that you're doing in your life. Thank you, Bill. I look forward to it. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Mm -hmm.